having great authority, and the earth was illumined with his glory. And he cried out with a mighty voice, saying, Fallen, fallen is Babylon the great. She has become a dwelling place of demons and a prison of every unclean spirit and a prison of every unclean and hateful bird. For all the nations have drunk the wine of her passion, of her, of her immorality. And the kings of the earth have committed acts of immorality with her. And the merchants of the earth have become rich by the wealth of her sensuality. I heard another voice from heaven saying, Come out of her, my people, so that you will not participate in her sins and receive of her plagues. For her sins have piled up as high as heaven. And God has remembered her iniquities. This is the word of the Lord. May God add a blessing to the reading of it. Now to the preaching of his word. Let us pray. Gracious Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, be with us now as we consider uh, these uh, this wonderful command, this gracious and loving command from you to come out of Babylon and enter into Zion. Help us, Lord. Give us minds that understand, hearts that believe, Hands and feet that obey, be gracious to us, Lord, we pray. I decrease that you may increase, be glorified in Christ, and we pray. Amen. Please be seated, brothers and sisters. <clears throat> I do once again greet you in the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, to welcome you once again on this Sabbath day. Uh, as we continue our walk through, our study through the apocalypse of John. Uh, in the beginning of the 17th chapter... The angel declares that he had been given the right to reveal the judgment of the great harlot. Revelation 17, verse 1, the angel says, Come here, and I will show you the judgment of the great harlot, who sits on many waters, with whom the kings of the earth commit acts, committed acts of, of immorality. And those who dwell on the earth were made drunk, drunk with the wine of her immorality. In the 17th chapter, John was given a glimpse into the judgment of the harlot and the victory of the great of the Lamb, Christ the Lord. In the 18th chapter, there is another angel now who reveals an enlarged vision of the harlot's judgment and the reaction of those who were drunk with her wine to her judgment. In the midst of this enlarged vision, a voice from heaven comes forth. It is the voice of God. And he commands his people this. Come out of her, my people, so that you will not participate in her sins and receive her plagues. For her sins have piled up as high as heaven. And God has remembered her iniquities. Saints, this morning, with God's help, we will consider the command from God. Come out of her, my people. We will do so this morning with God's help in three points. Number one, <clears throat> the echoes of the command. The echoes of the command. This is verses one through four or five. In verse one, John again is given the vision of Another angel, before we get into the command, let's at least step up, sit on this, uh, who this angel is. Uh, this one, this angel, has a description that is distinct from all the other angels that, that John has seen for the most part thus far. Uh, maybe I could say it that way. The description of this angel seems to indicate that he is not only distinct from the other angels, but that he is altogether greater than the other angels. Verse 1, this angel is coming down. He is descending from heaven. He has great authority. And the earth is illumined with his glory. It's illuminated with his glory. Now, that seems um, rather wonderful for just another angel. The angel descends from heaven the way Christ will descend from heaven. And when he descends... He possesses great authority and also bright brilliance, so much so that it illuminates the entire earth. I, I don't know of anyone who fits that description other than the Lord Jesus Christ. Although not certain, the description of the angel 
it pairs well with Christ, doesn't it? Um, the description of the angel's descent, his great authority, his glory that fills the earth indicates that this this is Christ. Um, Revelation chapter 10, remember that John saw another angel. This also was a distinct angel. John sees this angel coming down out of heaven as well. Clothed with a cloud, well, that would be glory. Uh, a rainbow was upon his head. His face was like the sun. That means it, it was brilliant with light and his feet were like pillars of fire. Well, what do we know about Revelation? Uh, we know that Revelation is a book of symbols, but we also know that Revelation also is, is a book of recapitulation. That, that is that John will uh, give the same vision of something yet from a different angle. In chapter 10, we identified that angel uh, with the rainbow over his head coming on the cloud of glory. We identified him as Christ the Lord. The one who cries out with, when he cries out with a loud voice in chapter 10, he cries out, the scriptures say, as when a lion roars. Um, there is only one lion in all the scripture that we know of, and that is Christ the Lord, the lion of the tribe of Judah. Uh, I submit to you that the angel of Revelation 10 is also the angel of Revelation 18. Who is Christ the Lord, who descends out of heaven, who has great authority, who illuminates the world with his glory. I believe this is the Lord Jesus Christ. He cries out with a, with a mighty voice saying, Fallen! Fallen is Babylon the great. She has become a dwelling place of demons and a prison of every unclean spirit and a prison of every unclean and hateful bird. Verse 3, For all the nations have drunk the wine of her passion the passion of her immorality, and the kings of the earth have committed acts of immorality with her, and the merchants of the earth have become rich by the wealth of her sensuality. The angel cries out. We even might even say, uh, Christ cries out that Babylon, the so-called great, has fallen. Cries out with a mighty voice. Babylon is fallen. Remember that Babylon is the harlot. The harlot is Babylon. The angel connects the city of the harlot. The angel connects the city and the harlot as being one and the same. Look at verse two. Fallen is Babylon the great. And listen to the pronoun, um, the gender pronoun. She. She has become a dwelling place of demons. She is the harlot. Verse three. The nations have drunk of the wine of the passion of her immorality. You see that the harlot is Babylon. Babylon is the harlot. In Revelation 17, Babylon certainly falls. The pronouncement of the fall of Babylon is this. <clears throat> Even though it seems like she stands today, she will, she will most certainly fall. Even though it seems as though she is powerful today, that, that she lures all men to herself today, she will undoubtedly fall. Her fall is so certain that it is as though she has already fallen. Fallen, fallen is Babylon the Great. The announcement of the angel is a warning to the church to beware of the harlot's allurements, lest we give in to her advances. In the 17th chapter, the angel, the seventh angel, declares that the harlot will be judged. Uh, he says, come, let me show you her judgment. The angel comes down from heaven, great authority, illuminates the whole earth, and calls image bearers of God, the church, to beware, because her fall is inevitable. Now, why, why must we beware? Lest we join her in the plagues that are meant for her. If we join her in the plagues that are meant for her, then, then, then we also are a part of her. The warning to the church is to beware of her allurements. It, it's the warning. John believes that God's eternal disposition towards sin in the future will be the same as it has been in the past. Let me hopefully slowly bring this out. <clears throat> the prophecy of the fall of Babylon, it's viewed from a vantage point of John standing, if you will, um, and looking back at all of the acts of God toward all of the harlots that have risen, or toward all of the Babylons throughout history that have risen. John... Um, surveys their history and in surveying their past falls 
looks forward and says, in the same way that God has acted toward harlots and Babylons in the past, he will act toward harlots and Babylons in the future. Um, how has he acted toward them in the past? He's caused them to fall. And he's caused them to not just fall, he's caused them to greatly fall. Uh, he's caused them to be judged for their sin. John say, says, in the same way that God has acted in the past, he will act in the future. All Babylons, from past, present, and future, they will fall. <clears throat> Revelation chapter 17, the angel, uh, as we talked about last week, he mocks the beast. The beast that you saw was and is not and is about to come up out of the abyss, out of the abyss to go down to destruction. Uh, the ones that in the past have gone down, the ones that presently are will go down and the one in the future will ultimately go down to his final destruction, to her final destruction. Every Babylon that has risen falls. Every harlot will be judged. And we, saints, we must not be a part of her when she does. Think of the world in the, in the days of Noah. The world in the days of Noah was a type of Babylon. It lured, it was a harlot that lured fallen man away with her sensuality to the point that the thoughts of all men in Noah's day were only evil all the time. And God brought down Babylon, that harlot, with a worldwide flood. We might think of Egypt, that once great power that enslaved the people of God for over 400 years until God sent the prophet Moses to say to the people, come out of her, lest you be judged with her. And God brought down Egypt through the judgment of the Red Sea. Each time that Babylons have risen in the past, God brought them down, always in defeat. In verse 5, the voice from heaven says, her sins have piled up, listen to that phrasing, have piled up as high as heaven. And God has remembered her iniquities. It's subtle. Let me say that when I was studying through chapter 18, there's a lot of um, uh, echoes going on here. There's a lot of things from the Old Testament that are being recalled. I think that one of the things that John may be alluding to, though, especially with this phrase, is the Tower of Babel and its eventual fall. You're familiar with this event, aren't you? Genesis chapter 11, the people of the earth <clears throat> unite with one language led by Nimrod. The first king of Babylon. They gather for one purpose. They say in, in Genesis 11, come, listen to this word, let us, this phrasing, come, let us make bricks and burn them thoroughly. And they used brick for stone and they used tar for mortar. And they said, listen to this one, come, let us build for ourselves a great city and a tower whose top will reach into heaven. John says their sins have piled as high as heaven. Um, those that Babel are saying, let's build a tower as high as heaven. And let us, once more, three times, make ourselves, make for ourselves a name. Otherwise, we will, we will be scattered abroad over the face of the whole earth. <clears throat> Nimrod's name means, come, let us rebel. And he leads the people of Babel into a rebellion against God. Now, for those of you who have read through the Tower of Babel, and you go, what, what, what exactly is the sin here? There's a united people. They're all doing something together. The rebels mock the language of God. I wonder if you noticed that. In Genesis chapter 1, there is a, a, a phrase that God uses when he creates man in his own image. Do you know what that phrase is? Let us. When God begins to make man for his own glory, to build, as it were, a kingdom, a tower, which is his people... When he begins to build his people for his glory, build his kingdom, the phrase is, come, let us. And now here are here is fallen man, uh, fallen man with a depraved mind, depraved heart, saying together, come, let us build. And, and what are they building? They are building a tower, a monument that exalts their own name. Let us make a name for ourselves, they say. They mock God, not only twice, but three times. Come, let us. They say, verse four, let us build for ourselves a city, a tower whose top will reach into heaven. Let us make a name for ourselves. L listen to this also, and I hope that you catch. Otherwise, we will be scattered abroad 
over the face of the whole earth. That's an interesting phrase. We'll get to that in a moment. Let's build a tower as high as heaven. Let's make a name for ourselves. Um, let us, the language is intentional, build something that, is, that rivals the throne of God. Let's build something just as high as his throne. The rebels of Babel sought to build a monument to the glory of man. Uh, man has been made for the glory of God. Uh, man instead said, let's build something for our own glory. The, the language that I used back in, in Genesis was, uh, it's a zygote. It, 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 you, we might think of tower being space needle. It actually looks more like a pyramid. Large, wide, heavy base. Let's build a tower for our own glory. I think that John might have in mind Tower of Babel. Their sins have, have, have piled as high as heaven. It was the intention of those who built Babel to build as high as heaven. Their, their aim was also an aim of, of building something that could withstand, listen to this, future judgment. What, what, what is their concern? Well, their goal is to build for their glory, but also in the midst of their building, it's to build so that they don't be, they won't be scattered across the whole face of the earth. Where would that, where would that phrase even come from? Let us build so that we're not scattered over the entire world. Where would they get the idea? It comes from something that happened just a few, just a few generations. Not centuries, really. A few generations. Like great grandma told me about this. But there was a worldwide flood, and when that happened, bodies went everywhere. They, or they were scattered over the entire world. So the people at Babel were saying, let's build something that could withstand another judgment, lest we be like the bodies that are all over the entire world who suffered under judgment. They're trying to, they're trying to preserve themselves. They're, they're almost daring God, try that again. The Lord sent judgment upon the wicked and their bodies went everywhere. The people of Babel think that they can build a fortress this time and save themselves from future judgment. Noah built a boat and they're going to build a fortress. And it would reach, they believe, as high as the heavens. Well, what was the result? Uh, Genesis 11, God come down. God came down. That, uh, whenever you hear that God comes down, it's always judgment. God comes down. That is um, Bible talk where God came to judge. God comes down and counters the let us of the rebels at Babel with the let us of the triune God. The scriptures say God says, God came down and said, let us. Let us confuse their language. And the very thing that they didn't want to happen, happened to them. And immediately they are scattered across the earth. They're divided. Divided by language. Here's the point. Fallen is Babylon. Every Babylon that tries to raise itself above the throne of God will fall. It's true no matter what nation you live in. The allurements of the harlot will always be brought down. Babylon will always fall. Notice also in Revelation, the demonic and unclean things that live in Babylon. My son right now is reading through um, uh, the Pilgrim's Progress. And he's in a portion right now where, where a little Christian is, is working his way through um, Vanity Fair. I said to him last night, is Vanity Fair a good place? No, it's a very, very bad place. Vanity Fair is the world. It's the world in which we live in. The world in which we live in has every unclean spirit, every unclean and hateful bird, things that are restricted by God. They are in Babylon. And we are to abstain from her. All vile things live in Babylon. But they don't appear to be that way on the surface. On the surface, they appear to be clothed in purple, scarlet, adorned with gold and precious stones and pearls. But within her is a cup full of abominations and unclean things. Within her, within her cup, her golden cup is poison. She looks wonderful on the outside, but she is full of poison. She offers her cups to the nations. And they don't just drink. They get drunk with her passion. They get drunk with her immorality. They don't just sip. As I said last week, they are drunk with her immorality. And who drinks? Kings and merchants. Those who have power. Those who have authority. Those who have influence. All people. 
the wicked at least, they are enjoying themselves, being drunk on the prosperity of Babylon. And as the church looks on, here now is the warning from God. Number two, point two, come out of her. Come out of her. Verse four, I heard a voice from heaven saying, come out of her, my people, so that you will not participate in her sin and receive of her plagues. Because of the sin of Babylon, just like past Babylons, God will judge the wicked. We know that God is righteous and holy. This is why he will judge. He will not allow sin nor the sinful deeds of men to endure forever. But before the final judgment, as we are living, at least physically, in Babylon, the call from God to his church is for her, the church, to come out of Babylon. To not be lured in by the harlot. Come out of her, my people, he says. It's a command, saints. Not a suggestion. That is rang repeatedly true throughout the whole of scriptures. Let's go back to Noah. Before God judged the world through the worldwide flood, God called Noah to come out of Babylon by building an ark and then entering it. That which God has designed. It, it was a way of coming out by going in. For 100 years, or nearly 100 years, Noah called the people of his day to come out of Babylon. Come out of her. Escape the coming judgment. Trust in Christ so that you will not participate in the, the judgment that is being reserved for the harlot. Escape the coming judgment. Come out of her. Abram, before he was Abraham, the father of many nations, was called to come out of his country. To leave Ur of the Chaldeans. It was a call for Abram to come out of Babylon, to leave her, to leave his house, his country, his people. And that through him, God would build a people, a nation. And that through him, his offspring would be blessed. Many the nations would be blessed. The call to come out of Babylon applies to the people of God for all ages. Who live in a world that is opposed to God. To opposed to exalting God alone. Opposed to pursuing obedience and holiness. God's call to you, his people, is to come out of Babylon. Amen. Now, I think there's another example that, that John may have uppermost in his mind. And I think it is of that, that of Lot and God's command for Lot and his family to come out of Sodom and Gomorrah. Lest they share in the plagues that God would pour down on them. You remember the story, don't you? In Genesis 19, the Lord sends an angel to warn Lot and his family of the coming judgment that would fall on Sodom and Gomorrah. Here's what the angel says in Genesis chapter 19, 15. Up, get out of this place, for the Lord will destroy the city. Come out of her, my people, lest you share in her plagues. They were to escape the coming judgment. They were to escape the plagues that were going to fall. And, and we might, if an angel appears to you and says, Anthony, you need to go now. I'm going to judge Bakersfield. I doubt that Anthony would say, I'll, I'll sleep. I'll wake up at six and, and we'll leave bright and early. I would imagine that Brother Anthony and, and all of us might immediately get up and go. We might go as far away from this city as we can get, uh, we, we might imagine that Lot, when he was approached by these angels, got up and got as far away from Sodom and Gomorrah as he could get. The scripture says that uh, the angel commanded Lot, up, take your wife, your two daughters, get out of here. Or you will be swept away in the punishment of the city. And Lot got up and ran away. Verse 16. But he hesitated. Um, another version says, and he, but he lingered. And rather than immediately escaping Babylon, who is the harlot, and the judgment that would fall on her, Lot lingers, he hesitates. Why are you lingering? Uh, Saints, when you think about Sodom and Gomorrah, what comes to your mind? Pause, right? <clears throat> what do you think it looked like? Let's start with that. What do you think Sodom and Gomorrah look like? What? Let me ask you also this. What opportunities do you think that Sodom and Gomorrah provided? Well, let me tell you what I thought 
of Sodom and Gomorrah before I talk through the book of Genesis. I imagine Sodom and Gomorrah to be a desolate place, uh, almost deserted, uh, a remote kind of place. I imagined, before I preached through Genesis, I imagined Sodom and Gomorrah to be a rampant city full of debauchery with little or no opportunity for a man to prosper there, that, that only sin that dwelled there. Any of you kind of felt that? Think about that as I, as I was saying. What do you, well, the opposite is true, right? In Genesis chapter 13, Abram realized that the time had come for he and his nephew Lot to separate. He calls him to overlook the land. And when he does, he says to him, um, like Mr. Miyagi said to Daniel's son, choose. Choose. Yeah. Sorry. Uh, choose where you and your family would settle. Lot surveys the land, uh, Genesis chapter 13 and verse 10. Lot lifts up his eyes and saw the valleys of the Jordan. And what does he see? That it was well watered everywhere. This was before the scripture say the Lord destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah. He says that when he surveys the area of Sodom and Gomorrah, it looks like the garden of the Lord. Which is the garden of Eden. Moses even goes further and says, like the land of Egypt, as you go up to Zoar, which was a plush and green land full of water. When Lot surveys the land, his eyes are drawn to the, to the place, listen to this, where the natural eye would naturally be drawn to. That, that means if you and I were standing with Abram and, we, and Abram said, choose, right? Our eyes would naturally be drawn to the place that is most green and, and most well watered. So you can't blame Lot for looking at good land and saying, that looks like a good place to go. Here's the only thing that we should blame Lot for. It's right next to, not in, but right next to Sodom and Gomorrah. It is close enough to Sodom and Gomorrah that he might as well be in it. What, what, was, Sodom and, what was the area of Sodom and Gomorrah like? It was well watered. It was a land that was comparable to the Garden of Eden. It was a beautiful place, not desolate, not deserted. Not only this, but because of, of the type of land that it was, and because of the water that was near, it was a land perfect for commerce and exchange, which means it was the perfect place for cattle to thrive, for people to come and, and trade. It no doubt drew the attention, not just of Lot, but many in that area, so that Sodom and Gomorrah was a thriving kind of guarded metropolis. The harlot will always lure men away with what they naturally want. It's no wonder why Lot lingered, isn't it? Get up and go, Lot lingers. You must escape now, Lot hesitates. The scriptures say that, that his righteous soul was vexed while he lived in Sodom. But when it came time for him to leave, he lingered. He may not have agreed with the rampant sin that was taking place in Sodom. But he greatly benefited from the money of the righteous. Lot was there because he was prospering. He may not have agreed with their lifestyle and sin, but as long as they were padding his pocket, he found it hard to leave. The angel says to Lot, flee to the mountains. And Lot's response was, if I go there, disaster is going to overtake me and I'm going to die. You're going to die if you stay. But Lot goes, but if I go to the mountains, I'm going to die. And the angel is saying, but if you stay, you're going to die. So Lot makes a compromise. He says, let me go to this town. It's just, it's just outside of Sodom and Gomorrah, but it's close enough. Listen to this. It's close enough so that he could still make a living there. If I go to the mountains, I'm going to die. But if I go to this, this town that, that's not so far away, it's still close enough for me to be around people, I will still be able to make money. The harlot has a, a place, a place in Lot's heart to where he wants to leave but only go halfway out. He knows it's not, he knows, I know I shouldn't be here, but what, what if I just go a little further out? 
Come out of her, my people, the Lord says, so that you will not participate in her sins and receive of her plagues. It takes, listen to this, saints, it takes a new heart and a new mind, a mind that has wisdom to see and rightly evaluate sin for what it is. Amen. The sinfulness of sin, the, the deadliness of sin. Mm-hmm. To evaluate the wealth of this world and to weigh it up against true wealth, it's impossible you cannot do it if you have not been given a new heart and a new mind to take the, the wealth and the, uh, the riches of this world, the things that the world offers, and to weigh them up against what God offers. The world will always win if you've not been given a new heart and new mind. The world will always say, uh, you will always evaluate the world's wealth as being greater than God's if you have not been given a new heart and new mind. Well, what happened to Lot? We'll get to that in a moment. Later in the history of Israel, another example, they would find themselves in a bondage like that of Egypt, but it would be in a place that was actually called Babylon. Israel was was captured by the Babylonians, exiled out of their country into Babylon, living in a foreign land. Men like Daniel and his three friends, Hananiah, Hazariah, Mishael, continued to live faithfully to God in Babylon. They would not eat of Babylon's unclean foods. They would not worship their pagan gods. And God protected them when they were thrown into fiery furnaces. God protected them when they were thrown to be fed into to the lions. Because they would not bow down to the beast of the harlot. In Isaiah chapter 52, the prophet sees a time when God would bring his people out of Babylon. Just as he had done in the past because he was going to judge Babylon. And that they would be able to go home. But listen, but they're going home. Their, their, their exodus this time would be completely different. Than the, than the Israelites out of Egypt. Isaiah says, depart, go out from here, Isaiah 52. Touch nothing unclean. Go out of the midst of her. Purify yourselves. Come up out of her. You who carry the vessels of the Lord. Listen to this. But you will not go in haste. When Israel left Egypt, in haste, go, escape. God says this time when you're in Babylon, you won't have to leave in haste. Nor will you go as fugitives. You're not going as um, slaves on the run. The Lord will go before you. The God of Israel will be your rear guard. Go. The prophet sees a time when Israel would not have to escape, but they would go. And God encourages people that he would be the one to fight for them so that they could freely go. It would be a second kind of exodus, but a different kind. Babylon was conquered by Persia. And King Cyrus has all of these Israelites who are exiled from their home. And here's what the command, here's the decree from King Cyrus to, to the Israelites. Go home. You're no longer exiles. You are free to go home. Uh, King Cyrus was, um, he was tolerant of all religions. And so he thought it was right for the Israelites to go home and worship the way that they thought was true and right worship. You don't have to be in Babylon anymore. Babylon is now owned by Persia, and the king says, and as king, I say to you, go home. And, and you might imagine them going, you're not going to chase me? No, no, go ahead and go. I'm leaving. Go, right? Freely. You can leave. But just like Lot, they lingered. Not out of fear. Not out of fear of what Cyrus would do to them. It's because the harlot had taken a hold of their heart while they were in Babylon. They were Jews by blood, but became Babylonians now by nature. When they were free to go home, only a small remnant went home. The rest of them, which is most of them, stayed. Come out of her, my people. So that you will not participate in her sins or receive her plagues. John is telling the church, the church of the Lord Jesus Christ, don't get comfortable here. Don't root yourself here to the point that only this world is what you live for. Don't become attached to Babylon. Live as aliens here. Live as citizens of another kingdom. Don't be lured in by the harlot. Don't give in to her advancements towards you. And don't think that you can't be lured in. We learned that last week, right? If anyone thinks he stands, take take heed lest you fall. What happened with Lot? 
while Lot lingered and tried to negotiate with the angel, the angel has had enough of his negotiations, takes his hand and forcibly pulls Lot out of, out of Sodom and Gomorrah. It was by the compelling grace of God that Lot escaped with his life. He literally dragged him out of Babylon. <clears throat> Who is the harlot? She is anything, anyone that lures you away from God. If anyone stops you from worship of the one true God, no matter who or what it is, you must detach yourself from that. I will obey God. I will do what I know God has commanded me to do. No matter who or what it is. God is warning the church before the final day. Come out of her, my people, before it's too late. I'm probably going to do this next week. And don't look back. Remember Lot's wife. Number three. So much to discuss here, but let God help us. Number three. How to come out of Babylon. How do we come out? <clears throat> come out of her, my people, so that you will not participate in her sins and receive of her plagues. Well, the angel is not saying literally come out of the literal place geographically of Babylon. We are not called to escape present day Iraq because if that was the case of um, check, we've already done that. Right. Sodom, just as Sodom had the heart of Lot to a certain degree, we must not allow Sodom, Babylon, Egypt, Rome, here we go, or America and any culture that calls you away from worship to the one true God to worship of something other than God, Amen. something someone other than God. Amen. We must not allow her, Babylon, to have any place here. Right. How do we come out? First, it's by the grace of God that you come out. It is first by the grace of God who calls you out and when he calls, that he has graciously given you ears to hear the voice of the shepherd so that you might respond in repentance and faith. Many are called. Few are chosen. Right. Ephesians 1. He chose us in him before the foundation of the world that we would be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us. God not only calls us, but he calls us because we've been predestined to be called. Amen. How do you come out? You, you first must be called and elected by God. Do we decide who is called and elected? No. Uh, it is through the proclamation of the gospel that though that the called are revealed, they hear the voice of their shepherd. They are called to exit uh, Egypt and enter into Zion. They hear the voice of Christ, their shepherd, and they go. That's first. You won't go unless God calls you out. The Lord says, I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know, know me. They know my voice, Christ would say. They join local churches. They, this is the response to the call. They, they hear, they repent, they believe, they join the church. We are the remnant Amen. who comes out of Babylon Amen. and who returns to Israel. Consider this, uh, because there's so much to consider on how to come out. Paul's commands to the church in Corinth. Uh, if you would, turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 5. Uh, we're going to at least read one scripture in chapter 6. 1 Corinthians chapter Five for now, but chapter six is what I'll read um, together with us. Paul says, I wrote to you. We're asking, how do I come out of Babylon? I wrote to you in my letter not to associate with immoral people. Now, the Corinthian church took that to um, an extreme. They took Paul's command to not associate with people as to literally not speak to anyone that, that they deemed a sinner. Um, so they were living a very isolated. I don't talk to you because you're immoral kind of lifestyle. Paul said, I did not mean with immoral people of the world or with covetous or swindlers or idolaters. Listen, because then you'd have to leave the world. If you don't associate with the world, you're, you're going to have to leave the world. You can't go to a gas station because you're going to possibly encounter a sinner. You can't go to a grocery store or to a, a restaurant because you're going to be served most likely by sinners. Yeah. Paul says, I, I'm not saying... 
If you want to do that, you're going to have to leave the world, which is impossible. But then Paul addresses in 1 Corinthians chapter 16 what he means. 1 Corinthians 6, I'm sorry, 1 Corinthians chapter 6 and verse 13. He says, Food is for the stomach, and the stomach is for food, but God will do away with them both. Listen to this. Uh, Yet the body is not for immorality, but for the Lord, and the Lord is for the body. Now God has not only raised uh, the Lord, but also will raise us up through his power. Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ? We're talking about how do I leave Babylon? Shall I then take away the members of Christ and make them members of a prostitute, the harlot? May it never be. Or do you not know that the one who joins himself to a prostitute is is one body with her? For he says, the two shall become one flesh. Come out of her. For this one who joins himself to the Lord is one spirit with him. Flee immorality. Every other sin that a man commits is outside of the body. Keep going. But the, the immoral man sins against his own body. Or Here it is. Or do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God, and that you are not your own? For you have been bought with a price. Therefore, glorify God in your body. Pastor Isaiah, yesterday in our men's Bible study, going through our book, Faith, Hope, and Love, here's one of the points. Remember who you belong to. If you have heard the gospel, you've believed it, you've placed your faith in God, you've repented of your sin, you've turned to Christ, it means that you've been predestined, it means that you're called, it means that you're answering the call. Therefore, you belong to Christ, and if you belong to Christ, remember who you belong to. Therefore, come out of her, my people, lest you be judged with her. Remember who who owns you. Your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. We commit sins in the body. Yes. The actions of the body are a reflection of the soul. Whose soul, um, who owns your soul? God does. The soul acts upon, the body acts upon the, 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 the will of the soul. Who do you belong to? If to Christ, then we must deny all of the advancements of the, the harlot. Don't be joined to her. Don't become one with her. You are one with Christ, not her. You've been purchased by the blood of Christ. You've been marked as his own. Therefore, you are not your own. How is this evidenced? Well, then, now we're talking about things that we do in the body. What do we do with our time? What do we do with our efforts? What do do we give our affections to? Uh, What do we invest in? All of these and so much more, they must be actions that are heavenward and not earthward. Directed toward heaven and not directed toward this earth. Is it wrong to love certain things? No, it's not wrong to love. Um, we love the rain that we've been giving, getting. We, we love the snow that we've been seeing. But do you love them to the point that you would um, say, I'm going to go to the snow and go play in the snow rather than go and join the people of God for worship? If you do, then Babylon, the harlot, has a place in your heart. That outweighs God's place. Which, I'll get to that in a moment. When the exiles of Israel stayed in Babylon, they made a choice to help Persia transform Babylon into Persia. They made a choice to help the commerce of what was once Babylon, now Persia, to increase, to to, to prosper. What I'm saying is this. Those who were Israel by blood helped to build Babylon's kingdom when they stayed. Because there was another building project going on at the same time that Persia took over Babylon. There was a temple in Israel that was destroyed. And the exiles were going home. And you know what their first, um, their first, the first thing on their agenda was? Rebuild the temple. How many people went back home to, to help rebuild the temple? Just a small remnant. While the rest continued on the wide road that lead to destruction. The small remnant went home to, to rebuild the temple of God. And with the rebuilding of the temple of God to restore right worship. They put their efforts, their time, their energy, their resources into building God's kingdom. 
Whose kingdom, what building project are you a part of? Many are leaving California, aren't they? Uh, we, we do homes every, every, and, and oftentimes they're saying, I'm moving. Really, where are you going? Going to Idaho. Okay. I'm moving. Really, where are you going? Going to Montana. Really, why? I'm, I can't take all the liberal, all the liberal stuff going on here in Bakersfield, California. I gotta get out of here. They don't all talk like that, I'm sorry. Um, <laughs> there's no place to run or hide from, from wickedness. You can leave California, but California will eventually, because Californians are going to Idaho, it will eventually catch up to Montana. And it'll, it'll catch up to the Great Plains. They will not be able to hide from Babylon, nor the harlot. That's right. Amen. The only refuge is found in Christ. Mm-hmm. Paul said, if you want to escape, you got to leave the world, not just California. And one day God will propel us out of this world and into his holy presence. Amen. We should separate from trusting in the world's security, as the unbelievers do. It's not California. It's the people. And they're everywhere. And they're everywhere. How do we leave? There's so much, guys. Christ addresses this to the seven churches, which is true for all churches. And here they are very quickly. I'm the Lord your God. God has made you and no one else. God alone is worthy of worship. And devotion to any other God is sin against God. Don't do it. That's how you come out. We've been given new minds and new hearts that have been offered, that can be offered to God in right and true worship. We are, we are citizens of Zion, of the kingdom of God. Worship God alone. Seven churches have been commanded for all time. Worship God. Seven churches are, are warned. Don't envy the wealth of the, and prosperity of the wicked. For the wealth of the prosperity of the wicked have become a God to them. Commandment number two, you shall have no gods before me. Amen. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the third and fortune of uh, that's Spain. But do not worship false gods. Amen. He said to one church, you think you're rich, but you're poor. You're blind. You're pitiable. Pitiable. The harlot has lured you away material, with material things. Don't let the material things of this world become a God to you. We shall not take the name of the Lord God, the name of the Lord our God in vain. How do we come out of Babylon? Don't believe false teaching. Don't believe false teachers. A little leaven leavens the whole lump. Bad company corrupts good character. You must not allow their teachings to influence you and draw you away from God. Keep the Sabbath holy. How do you come out? Keep the Sabbath holy, especially on this day. We show that we are walking with God and not with the harlot. On this day, unlike any other day, we meet with God. We hear his word. We listen. We listen intently. We listen reverently. But we ask for the grace of God to grow in knowledge of God and for the grace of God to apply the knowledge that we've gotten. This is true wisdom. We do not neglect the means of grace unless prevented by works of mercy or necessity. We don't rush out of the presence of God to join the activities of the world. We don't say, uh, I forget what scripture it was. We don't say, though, when will the doors be open uh, like those who are waiting outside of the temple so that we can go in and continue our commerce? No, not on the Sabbath day. Let me say this on side point. You may not be a Sabbatarian like I am. But you should have a biblical reason for why you do what you do on the Lord's day. Not just because I do what I do. Um, and I don't care what anybody says or anybody thinks. That's not living as a citizen with the kingdom of God. If you say, I'm going to do this, buy this, go there, go, and you're a Christian, you should have a good reason of why you think that's okay. Because if you don't, then you are sinning. You are going against what God commands. Attending, attending church, well, I went to church, it's not good enough. <clears throat> On this day, we are conformed to Christ, unlike any other day. We meet with Christ at his table. We are reminded that sin has been put to death. We don't just come for knowledge, saints, do we? I hope not. We come to meet with God. Why are you here? I pray that you're here to meet with God. 
I pray that your, your first reason for coming for worship is not because you have friends here. Praise God for that. But if that's your first reason why you're coming and your first reason is not I come to meet with God, then ask God for grace to help you realign your priorities of why you're here. You come to meet with God. Evidence of, of coming out is the way that we love. This is found in the last six commandments. The way we love our parents. The way we love our neighbors. We don't kill. We don't steal. We don't commit adultery. We don't lie. We don't covet. When we don't do these things, we display that we have come out of Babylon. That we are not in bed with the harlot. We live in love for God and love for our neighbor. And in doing so, we show that we are citizens of another country. It's a summation of what Christ says in the seven churches. Don't compromise your faith. Don't compromise your faith. Christ says to the people who are worried about money, I will provide for you. Don't worry. Don't believe the the false teachings of the Nicolaitans, of the Jezebels. Uh, Refuse those who say they're Jews, but they're really not. Stand firm when you're put to the test. Even when your life is threatened, if someone is even put to the sword, stand firm, says the seven churches. Don't be lukewarm. Don't think for one second that Christ will tolerate lukewarmness in our faith. It means unusable. Unusable witnesses. An unusable witness is not fit for the building, the helping to build the kingdom of Christ. Such unusable witnesses, Christ spits out of his mouth. We are to be involved in the building of the kingdom. And that by our faithful lives, our obedient lives, all men will see our conduct, see that we belong to a different different building project, and give glory, we pray, give glory to God. Come out of her, my people, is the command. Do not be drunk with her wine. Saints, I pray that this was helpful in some sense, and there's a lot more that can be said. These are just highlight points of much more that could be said. But let's take heed to the command. Let us not give the harlot one one inch of our heart. Let's learn from Lot. Let's learn from those who lingered. And as God calls us to escape and not make a home for ourselves here, let us be quick to say, no, Lord, I am not my own. I've been bought with a price, the precious blood of Christ. Let us pray.